welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt is here. We are talking IndyCar today, heading into Laguna Weekend, heading out of the weirdness of Portland. But before we get there, I'm going to turn it over to Matt. Well, yeah, I got to lead two topics here because you talk about the weirdness of Portland and then you're smack dab in San Francisco now. Yeah. I think the secret to our podcast is if I just say, God, I wish I had a place to stay in New York. I'm expecting at least seven DMs now of kind people offering me because apparently that's how this works. So shout out to Keith Tyron. Yes. Based in in San Francisco. I am recording from the living room right now looking out over a foggy San Francisco but a beautiful view and yeah very thankful. I'm amazed that their their place was set up with an acorn stairlift for you to get up and down the stairs easily that that's that's <laughs> up man <laughs> I had a shout out James Jakes <laughs> yeah that's the only reason I'm not more mad right now is because that was really well done <laughs> Well, so, yeah, I mean, okay, like, I just joked about the fact that all you have to do is just snap your finger on the podcast and say, God, I wish Keith would reach out to me. And then, lo and behold, Keith reaches out to you. So, like, how did this all, like, you just, you guys just swap messages and you're just like, yeah, can I come crash with you between Portland and Laguna Seca? And this very kind human decided to say yes for some reason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually on the subway in Portland with... Kevin Dajewski and Nathan Brown and uh, Portland was Kevin's last race for the year but it was talking with Nathan about what he was doing in between Portland and Laguna and I was like oh yeah I don't really know what I'm doing I don't really know even when I'm going home and he was like he's like what are you doing you're you're gonna fly all the way back east and then back out here and I was like I think so and he's like you should just figure something out so i was looking at airbnb and hotels and i was like yeah there's just there's only like one airbnb that like makes any sense to stay at for the week and then i just uh messaged this fine young man keith next to me here or a couple feet over from me here and uh yeah now i'm i got here monday morning and i have a a, a very nice place to stay in in san fran and toward a, a little bit of the city it's the first time i've been here in 20 years uh stop with the don't even make jokes you weren't you weren't even alive then and yeah so it's you know it all worked out on the subway and when i was eating dinner at denny's so yeah, that's that's all i got i think the honest to god i think the last time i was in california was oh nine yeah. It's been quite a while. Outside of Laguna two years ago, the last time I was in California was when I was four, 13 or 14. And stop it. Don't don't make... You're so tempted to make that joke. I us say, you're probably helping... Oh, I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> well, I'm trying to look at my list here. I think I have one here for our non-racing discuss- discussion item. Yeah. What is the worst like apparel item that a male or female can wear it's not like i guess apparel is a bad word like fashion item like is there a certain type of like are you like an anti-croc person and and convulse anytime someone's wearing crocs or is there like a shirt that you always hate seeing we don't have to like ridicule a sports team but just (laughs) any style of shirt dress shoes 
men's glasses, anything? Can I give you two answers? Yes. Uh, first answer would be anything with a Pittsburgh sports team on it. More specifically, the Penguins. Do you want me to get Joey Molinaro back on here? I, I told Joey that. In person. And Wow, that must have taken a lot of courage. Oh, I was a little nervous. Yeah, he's much more important than I am, so. <laughs> but I would I would say Crocs, and I had a moment of, because Crocs are just awful, and I had a moment of weakness, like, two months ago where I was looking for, like, slip-on comfortable shoes to wear to the airport and walk the dog and other things. And I texted Shannon, and I was like, do you like these shoes? And she was like, dear God, please don't order them. And she sent me those shoes that... Our friend Bozy said are for middle-aged men. They're called Hey Dudes, and they're just comfy slip-on shoes. And they're my airport shoes now. So, yeah, what are I, airport shoes? Shoe, just comfortable shoes that, like, I don't care if they get dirty. Just. But you only wear them at an airport. No, I wear them airport running errands, uh, walking the dog if I still live at home. Uh, you know, thing things like that. Okay. Yeah. Can I make that my answer? No. <laughs> okay. Jerk. Do you what, is, what I don't even know the name of them. Those um those shoes that are more for like outdoorsies that the like, ones that have the individual toes. Yeah. I don't know the name of them either, but I knew exactly where you were going with it. My brother owned them for a hot second and like claimed like he's literally walking around the Mall of America with them on and claimed like they're the greatest things ever. I'm like, dude, you look like such a spanner. I think, well, I'm trying to think of more. I mean, one that just came up, I think wearing a tax the rich dress to the Met Gal is a really dumb idea. Yeah. We should save that for a non-IndyCar episode. Yeah, that should be alcohol induced yeah. topic. I, I never minded Crocs. I think uh, we have a place called Shields here where if you're like walking in the Crocs aisle, it's all arranged by color and it's like so nice, nice display. I just love that. To me, it's like the coolest part. It's like a little rainbow on the wall. You it's are so a nice. child. Well, it's just nice. It, it just, okay. It's just, it's you're visually child. pleasing. But I do want to shout out Shannon for giving me that shoe selection because they are incredibly comfortable. Yeah. Well, the race. What race? Uh, Portland, the one oh. you're just at. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Alex Pillow for his comeback to the win. It's his, what is this, third win now? Second win? Third. Third win. Uh, Rossi with his best finish of the season, second. Dixon, third. Harvey, fourth. Newgarden, fifth. So let's get right down to it and talk about lap one, turn one, <sighs> which is always the best thing ever. Yep. I am not, well, I'm going to start with the off-topic one. I am one of the few people who actually appreciates Paul Tracy in the booth. I know there's a bunch of people out there who do not like Paul Tracy in the booth. I think a lot of his insights and his banter with Townsend are, I wouldn't say appreciated, but it's just a different change of pace than what we would be normally used to in a racing booth. Uh, he has you know moments where I'm like, why did you just say that? <laughs> Probably not a good idea. And other moments where I think his insight is refreshing. I think he's kind of the wrong guy to have at turn one in Portland, though. I think, like, that kind of role was tailored for, like, a Kevin Lee or a Young Bekus or someone who can be, I don't know what the, I don't know what I'm looking for. Just, like, you know, because Young can, like, diagnose stuff so fast and, like, 
get it all out there. And Kevin Lee seems like he can do the same. And Tracy was just like, "Ah, oh, there's cars spinning everywhere. It's mayhem." <laughs> yeah. See, I didn't. I didn't obviously hear that because I was at the track. But I, I don't necessarily agree. But I, I understand where you're coming from. So that was number one, I guess. I think the idea is really good. I just think like putting Kevin or Jan in that position to be like kind of, and he can't see everything either. Like he doesn't know that Rogan's and Quist probably hit. Dixon. Dixon into Polo or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but just like, oh, God, everything's happening. <laughs> I was like, what am I watching here? Yeah. So, Rosenquist hits Dixon and Polo and then forces Rossi wide. So, that's one, two, three, and four. Five. Four. Four, because Ray Hall was five. Right. Uh, that's them all sorted out. Ray Hall ended up behind Pato. To recap, a McLaren driver takes out the top three. Not like takes out, but forces them wide. And then his teammate inherits it. Now, the tinfoil hats are alive and well for this one. Of course. Gen- genuine racing mistake? Malice? What do you think? Racing mistake? I think he went wide and realized, oh, crap, there's no chance I can apex this corner unless I slam on the brakes but dixon and polo both made it three wide so there was really nowhere to go and that was that i don't think there's any conspiracy theory and those who are making it need to stop so then part two is is it absurd that polo and dixon had to go to the back of the field with rosenquist because of the causing the yellow yes i don't see this is a hard one for me because as, as I was told in race control, they said if you use the off area in turn one and two for any reason, you will rejoin the field at the rear. So by letter of the law, they applied the rule correctly. But I don't know what they were supposed to do because they were forced in there. I guess this is similar to our F1 discussion on Sergio Perez. Right. But... You know, if we're going by what race control said in the driver's meeting last weekend, they applied the rule correctly. Do I like the rule? No, but it's the rule. Yeah, I uh, I like Emma Dixon, and I usually find myself not necessarily agreeing with some of her tweets on Twitter, but like this is one where I'm firmly on her side. I think it's that Dixon and Palo were uh, sent to the back. And in, in, I'm sure you're aware in basketball they call it ball don't lie. And sometimes they say that in soccer too, where it's if there's some sort of foul or liberty taken on a team, the team that usually gets the call to go against them could still come back in some sort of fashion and they say ball don't lie. I feel like Pelot, Rossi, and Dixon still finishing on the podium was like a ball don't <laughs> lie kind of moment, like showing that that was a BS penalty because the racing gods got them back up front anyways. Even even Rosenquist, sixth, so he recovered well, too. It's kind of like, I don't know, maybe going to the back was the answer. I don't know. Because uh, then you well, you got, like, Ray Hall, Jones, and, and Pato, who didn't have the best of finishes, even though they were top three. I think the thing is, with the way the Eilat and Kellett caution played out and then the Askew caution played out, it flipped multiple times what strategy was the best strategy strategy between the three-stop and the two-stop. So let's say the Eilat Kellett crash doesn't happen. You might have seen you know, Ed Jones, Ray Hall, etc. at the top 
but the way the cautions worked out in the end, it you did not. It did not. Uh, I didn't know this until listening to Ask Off Track with Hinch and Rossi that Hinch hasn't really made it a full <laughs> like two laps at the race yet. Yeah. And then, of course, the poor guy qualifies a decent 13th, and then Roman Grosjean just absolutely murders him in turn one. Like, Grosjean was nowhere close to making the corner. No, no, he forgot to break. Yeah. Is that what happened? Is that, like, legitimately what happened? Or I'm just assuming based on the fact he didn't break. And then I think Askew hit Ray Hall. Yes. Eilat made contact with McLaughlin. Somebody hit Elio. Yeah, I don't know who hit Elio. I, I was told who hit him, and then it might have been Eilat, actually. And then Power got forced to stop behind the stricken... I think it was he got stuck behind Elio. And had damage. Yeah, so do you think there's ever going to be a year where we get through turn one, lap one at Portland okay if we do a no. double file start? No. no, no chance. Never? Is it just the way it is? or? Yeah, I, I think unless you're going to make penalties really harsh or something, I, I don't see why you why anything would change. How about, how about willpower having to stop 46 times under that caution to... I don't even know if they really showed it on TV, but he had some bodywork damage on the right side, right in front of his rear wheel, and he stopped four times under that first caution, ended up stopping seven times total for the race, and still finished a respectable 12th or 13th. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Wish he was a little faster. I think I picked him in fantasy, but it's still a great recovery. It kind of couldn't have gone a whole lot worse for Pato after the start he had, right? Like, that was just like what you were saying with the changing scenarios and whatnot. It was, it was ultimately a pretty garbage day for him. Yeah, you know, in his, his radio, he was very adamant that he didn't have straight, straight line speed even when he used push to pass. So I'm wondering if maybe his engine was on the fritz, if he was having some sort of issue that maybe they couldn't diagnose, but... I mean, the team, you know, Taylor Kyle, is just like, okay, keep your head down and focus. But clearly he was he did, just, just didn't have the pace of anybody around him. He was getting passed at will when whenever there was a restart. So there's that. I guess uh, since you were at the track, yeah. my first question would be, any impressions on Callum Eilat or Yunkos as a whole? So Yunkos has a very small operation at the track right now. You almost hope that the Hollinger money kicks in some extra employees soon because they did not have too many people there. But that being said, it's great to see them back. Ricardo Yunkos is, you know, one of the nicer guys in the paddock. And I really do hope Cal Mylot sticks around. He improved every session. His fastest lap of the race was only a couple tenths off of, of the of the leaders and i think he was running the same pace as graham rahal for a while even with the the damage in his car so you know definitely impressive obviously it's unfortunate what happened with needing to change an ecu in the middle of the race but also you know i talked to him in the media bullpen and he was an incredibly impressive young man to talk to so i really enjoyed talking with him i think he's got a good head on his shoulders and you know, knows what it takes to be successful in IndyCar. So I hope I hope we get to see him stick around. Yeah, I think his pace was excellent. After first practice, he was not last, which I think is an accomplishment. 
not only for his first time in IndyCar, but then coming to a team that hasn't even raced this year in Yunkos, I think, is phenomenal. Uh, so, yeah, I hope I heard nothing but positives about him, so I hope he sticks around for a while. I guess the only other thing we got to really get to, unless I missed anything, is championship implications now. Because uh, obviously, Polo Dixon and Ron, or I guess Polo and Dixon going off in the first turn right away with Paddle taking lead is like, holy shit, here we go. Yeah, because I looked at the points as they run on one of the monitor boards on, on pit lane, and at that point, Paddle was up by like 47 points on Polo in the standings. And it's like, here we go. This yeah. is it. Well, David Lighting's out there somewhere licking his chops. <laughs> With Polo 25 up on Pato, 34 up in Newgarden, 49 up on Dixon. Kind of means that Dixon's going to need a really good Laguna Seca to stay in this going into Long Beach. But for Polo, I think this is his biggest qualifying session yet at Laguna Seca because anything can happen at Long Beach with cautions and strategy and whatever. But with... Laguna Seca, a lot of that's going to come down to qualifying. So, I mean, if he finishes, like, in the top five at Laguna Seca with Pato or Dixon not doing anything, I mean, we might be looking at a new champion here. Yeah, and to validate your importance of qualifying even more is, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Eric Smith wrote a piece on the importance of qualifying at Laguna Seca, and since... So Colton Herta won from pole in 2019. Obviously, it didn't run between then and 2017. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. I'm sorry, 2007. But you know, if you go back even further, the winner of Laguna Seca has started somewhere in or near the top five in like 21 of the last 24 Laguna Seca races. So if he just qualifies in the top five, he's he's going to have a nice hold on the championship going into Long Beach. Yeah, so I think his pace has been excellent. And, man, he looks so strong on the road courses this year. It's insane. And his P2 at Indianapolis is also looking pretty awesome right now. So yeah. anything else before we get to driver of the day and predictions? No, I'll, I have one thing f- during our predictions, but I'll I'll get to that when we talk about it. Are you already trying to save face? No, 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 no. This has nothing to do with me. Okay. As far as good predictions, I had Scott Dixon, P3. You had Pato, P14. Yeah. And Shannon had Erickson, P7. So you finished last. Just want that made 
for the record. Shocking. Uh, you didn't finish last in the next one, though. Bad, I had Plo <laughs> first. You had Dixon third. Shannon had Rossi second. So we really f***ed that up pretty bad. We badly. did the podium in reverse. Damn. For, yeah, for our bad predictions. Dark Horse top ten, I had Harvey P4. Well done, Jack. The force was with him. You had Askew 24th. All right. Yep. And then Shannon had Ray Hall which I still maintain is not fair because Ray Hall finishes in the top 10 like it's his breakfast. Uh, so that's 10th for Ray Hall again, which is... I think he's only yeah, had yeah, not yeah. three non-top 10 finishes this year. Just again, stating that for the record. Anyway, I want to give a shout-out to Shannon for who has picked Rossi as her doing bad prediction like the last two times she's been on in order for him to do well, kind of like how I jinx people and they do poorly. Well, it finally worked, so congrats to Shannon for having her mission accomplished this week in her bad prediction. I feel like you're talking shit. No, I'm I'm being serious. I don't believe you. I actually texted her and I said your predict your your strategy of jinx, reverse jinxing him finally works worked. Yeah. But she also did she also did text me when Ray Hall was leading and she said my dark horse top ten is leading right now and I said you don't want to jinx it. Too late. But, see, the problem there was that words were coming out of your mouth, so you are probably talking shit. No, I definitely I def- I am not talking shit. All right. Well, we'll let the public decide. Uh, who was your driver of the day? Alex Pillow. Maintained a cool demeanor the entire time. Battled his way back, got the lead, and fought, uh, fought off a hard-charging Alex Rossi to, to hold on to the lead, so... I think his you know, cool under pressure demeanor is is so vital in a championship battle, and he proved it this weekend. My driver of the day is going to be someone who had maybe a little doubt creeping in by some after some recent performances, but Jack Harvey is still a very good driver who's had some very bad strategy calls go his way this year. So for him to start 20th and finish P4 at a track that he's very good at, to me, should hopefully put aside some doubts about his uh, future team and the relationship he's going to have with Graham Ray Hall next year and whatnot. So I think for him, it was a great result and you know, kind of something he can springboard into for 2020. What year is it next year? 2020. Jeez, is 2022 <laughs> already? Good God, where did 2021 go? I don't know. I don't even know what day it is. Do you do your driver of the day or am I on drugs uh i did well, you, you did polo yes you, you took the guy who finished first as your driver of the day okay anyway my disappointment uh, of the day who was that i'm gonna go with ed carpenter racing as a whole they were pretty <laughs> invisible all weekend this weekend i think I mean, outside I'll... of renus's win what did they i mean ed had a decent indy 500 connor led the indy 500 i yeah i wasn't uh, the, the whole season has been relatively dismal but I mean, this weekend especially, they were nowhere to be found all weekend. Who could have saw that come in that they wouldn't be good this year? Yeah, it's almost like he predicted it. Anyways, we sing the praises of Romain Grosjean a lot, but he, he definitely looked like a little bit of a rookie out there with the first turn nonsense. Yep. That, that was that was pretty poor. I feel bad for Hinch again <laughs> for not making it a lap. 
But uh, that was a pretty poor effort by Romance. So, and his qualifying wasn't exactly glamorous either. So, kind of a weekend for him to forget. Um, I don't know if it was a Portland thing or what, but it was not his best showing. Yeah, that's fair. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we did have some news about Andretti Autosport and Formula One that we dive into much deeper on the Formula One podcast. So if you are at all curious about the news and kind of how it happened and our thoughts about how it happened and whatnot, uh, please go check out our Formula One episode to listen to more about that. That'll be out tomorrow. That'll be out tomorrow. If nothing else, before we get to Laguna Seca, there wasn't too much news other than the schedule kind of sort of got leaked today uh, for an announcement later this week. So I think we finally got one of these timings right, finally. Uh, hmm. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of breaking sponsor news or insert entry here for Laguna Seca that we're going to miss. But, uh, you know, we'll just laugh at ourselves as that happens. But the schedule uh, that is set to come out sometime this weekend, question mark? Yeah. In the next week is the official wording. St. Petersburg, the city council apparently is asking or slash putting it to a vote to move the race up to February 27th. I'm sure there is an educated reason as to why. I unfortunately don't know or couldn't be bothered to check into it. Uh, so that's one change that's happening. Texas is moving to round two, and it's only just going to be a single race. Thank God. Uh, and then it's a lot like what we were accustomed to seeing pre-pandemic. So then Long Beach, Barber, Indy GP, Indy, Detroit, Detroit, Road America. Is there, there's Olympics. No, it's Winter Olympics next year. Why is there? Okay, hang on. That'll be a different rant. Mid-Ohio, Toronto, asterisk. Iowa doubleheader. Indy GP number two. Please, for the love of God, a different layout. Nashville, Gateway, Portland, Laguna Seca. So that's our 18-round schedule. No Homestead because NASCAR or ISC were a bunch of dicks or something. Take it away wherever you want to start with that. I mean, I think getting back to the 2019 schedule is super important and I think in general is a good schedule. Would I love to see a, a, a Homestead or another Oval pop on there? Yeah, of course. Would I like to see... The second Indy GP, maybe switch up the layout slightly, like you mentioned, agreed 100%. But I don't want to see 15 ovals on the calendar and you know some ridiculous schedule overall. Because as we see with NASCAR, they have 36, 35 races in 36 weeks, which is insane. And I would not want to work in, in NASCAR if I were working in 2022 for them. But... I think all in all, it's a it's a pretty good schedule. Uh, I know you were about to probably rant about the time off in July. I think it is. What? June. That doesn't sound like me. Yeah, and I have to say, similar to Formula One's kind of summer break, I welcome it wholeheartedly. Was that it? That, that was your point. That was my point. I <laughs> I was waiting for your rant, and then I, I'll follow up if was I. Was there a reason you're welcoming it wholeheartedly? Does that just mean less travel for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, the teams need a break. All of those who are traveling like a little break. So I, I think it's it's good for a little uh, you know, mental mental reset for, for everybody who's, you know, work either a driver or, you know, crew or team owners, et cetera, just to you know, have a slight downtime. I know half the time they're still you know, testing or working out or whatever, but 
a mental reset is is so vital in sports so i think it's it's i think it's an okay thing to have okay so i want to preface it by saying that i like the venues on the schedule i mean obviously i think a homestead would have made the schedule a lot more well-rounded but i think at present it's a pretty good schedule I love that Iowa's back, obviously, and I would love for the GP venue for the second one to be the different layout that we've always been discussing here. But, and I don't have a problem with the summer break. I think my biggest complaint here is that if the race for St. Petersburg does get moved to February 27th, that means there's going to be three day, three races within the span of 62 days. So yeah, it goes I, that's a good point. February 27th to March 20th to April 10th to May 1st. That is slow. That's so boring. That is way like, you know, let's say, and we always talk about this every year. If the first round's a knockout, the best race ever, then people have to wait three weeks for the next race. That's horrible. So that's where, like, yeah, I agree that there should be a summer break, but, like, you know, just given the scattered nature of the first several events, and then even after the May 1st race at Barber, it's two weeks till the GP. And I know they have to do gearing up for the 500 as well. So I kind of get that one. Yeah, I, I see your point about the beginning of the season. I honestly didn't even look at the dates, but I actually think I saw Shannon tweeting about that earlier today. And three races in 62 days at the start of the season is rough and not a way to build up momentum to the month of May. So I guess we'll see the, the final schedule when it comes out. But yeah, I don't like that. But I guess in the interest of time we should move on to laguna seca is that this weekend yeah why well, also did I, did I get a rant about detroit i uh, also hate that that's also the first week after oh yes yes i also hate that and wish we could have that extra week in between like this year because it really is nice after being gone for like 18 days to have a, a day or two at home because I'd almost want to, I'd almost want to say that a lot of people within the paddock would take that extra week in between than a three-week random summer break. In which yeah. point, in which case, like that summer break, they're like bet a couple teams go to Road America, a couple teams go to Laguna Seca. So I don't know how uh, much of a summer break it actually ends up being. Yeah, give give me a two-week summer break and a week off after the five hundred, and that's perfect. Best, best of both worlds. So Laguna Seca, how far is that from you? Do you know? Two hours. Good God. I will not be... I will be staying at a hotel about 10 minutes down the road uh, come Thursday night. Damn, I didn't know that that far out there. You've been there before. Yes. What is something that maybe first-time fans going to the track can look out for? Or for those watching at home, what's something that they should keep their eyes on? Uh, well, I'm going to go with the super obvious answer here. But if you're at the track, go sit up in, uh, in the grass and the corkscrew and and it's really cool to see the cars going down there uh if you're on tv the corkscrew or if you're watching on tv sorry (laughs) if you're on tv congratulations if you're watching on tv watch the corkscrew i also like kind of that that uphill before the corkscrew kind of the turns right before that is is really cool too so i don't know if there's a name for that one or what corner numbers they are but Ray Hall straight somewhere in there, but yeah, yeah. Either way, I I really like that kind of back section before you get to the corkscrew. Did you know that Laguna Seca, the original one that Cart ran on for all intents and purposes, was basically an oval? Yeah, I did. I did see that original layout a couple weeks ago. That was awesome. 
It's basically an oval with the corkscrew in there. It's pretty dope. Yeah, I'm not sure. I ask he's back. Castroneves back. Yunkos and Ilot is back. We haven't heard anything about Dan Tictum quite yet, despite our source confirming. It's different than the Alpha Romeo source. <laughs> our source confirming that he was going to be slated for a seat, but we still haven't gained any traction on that. Yeah, I think, uh, do we got anything else other than, you know, the championship battle that we've already kind of discussed with Polo, potential for a significant advantage here. Over under two cautions, what do you think? Is it going to be a pretty clean race? I'm going to go under. This this is, yeah, I'm going to go under. I'll take the over. Okay. Do we have, did we miss? I mean, I know it's not the grandest of previews, but it's kind of a straightforward race. Uh, I'm obviously glad they're back there. It's much better than Sonoma, in my opinion. Yes. But if we don't have anything else, we can get to who you're going to have as a good pick. Yeah, before I get there, there is a Friday practice this week weekend. <laughs> So I think it's at 5.30 Eastern, 2.30 Pacific, if I'm not mistaken. And the race on Sunday is the same time as this past Sunday at noon Pacific or 12.30 Pacific and 3.30 Central or 3.30 Eastern, sorry. So, yeah, that's I think that's really it in terms of things to do, things to discuss beforehand, because really the only other thing is the championship prediction and we already discussed that at the beginning of the episode so yeah we can dive into predictions matt's internet has decided to take the rest of the day off typical gen z type of attitude i'm gonna run through predictions here matt texted them to me so i should really just steal his predictions since he's not gonna know until he listens to the episode on thursday but Good prediction for Matt, Colton Herta. I'll take Alex Rossi. I know Rossi mentioned in the post-race press conference that they tested there, so Battle of the Andretti's good, or I'm sorry, bad. Matt has Castro Neves. It's almost like low-hanging fruit because Elio's not typically very good on these street courses this year as a second car, but fine. My bad prediction will be Graham Rahal and Dark Horse Top 10. He has Sato. Interesting move because Sato's been kind of bleh lately, but all right. My Dark Horse Top 10, I will go with Callum Eilat. I know it's a shot in the dark because Yunkos had some electrical problems before or during the Portland race, but why not? Let's have some fun with this. Anyway, guys. Thank you for listening to another IndyCar episode. You can find all of our stuff and other great shows on the Evergreen Podcast Network, evergreenpodcast.com. And everybody have a lovely weekend of racing. Today's podcast was presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. If you're a podcaster, you can apply too immediately and get connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Go to podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o and let them know that we sent you there. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. 
And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 